This is Don't Waste Our Future, a series of interviews about the past, present and future of waste in Ireland. Ireland is among the highest waste producers in Europe per person. And we're a small nation now, but our population is growing, as is our appetite for consumerism. So we're going to have to understand and decide how we're going to manage it all. Otherwise, the big decisions could be taken out of our hands. The first time that I became consciously aware of how I treat waste was when I was travelling through India. I was on a three-day train from Delhi to Goa and part of the train journey was being kind of served these hot trays of food and chai. So the first evening we ate our food and when everyone finished, I noticed that they would just pull down the window and throw their trays out. And I was just shocked, but I had a plastic bag, so I took it out and started putting everything into it, thinking that, you know, like I had all the answers to the rubbish problem in India. And then the following morning, the same thing happened. It was breakfast time. So the guys came around to the trays, everyone ate it. But at this time, the train was pulling on into a station just as everyone was finishing. So I was wondering what would happen now, you know, and the same thing happened. People finished, they opened their windows, threw their trays out. But this time people started running towards the train and they started picking up all the things that were on the floor and sorting them and then running off with them. And I just realised of how little I knew, firstly, about this different culture and secondly, about kind of recycling in a way that I'd never seen before as someone who just puts all the rubbish into one bin, puts it outside the door and then never sees it again. Then the second time I became aware of the waste issue was when permission was granted for an incinerator to be built not far from my house. Um, And I suppose as a result, I just wanted to learn more about it. So I started researching the history. It doesn't go back very far, but in 95, over 90% of our municipal or household waste all went to landfills. So this led to our landfills reaching capacity. Then at around the same time, the EU started to crack down on this method of waste disposal because of the high volumes of emissions that landfills produce. So we then started relying on exporting the waste. And in 2016, China was taking 95% of our plastic waste. Then in 2018, China closed the doors. So in the meantime, Ireland's first commercial incinerator for household waste began its operations at Inverness County Meath site, and that was in 2011. And then six years later, in 2017, a second incinerator began its operations in Dublin, and this one is owned by a different company called Covanta. So Indiver are a privately owned Belgian company, and they're proposing to build this incinerator um, in Cork Harbour. And... A consortium of local resident groups in the area known as Chase or a Cork Harbour Alliance for a Safe Environment, they've been objecting these proposals for almost 20 years. And it's a fascinating tale, but with complexities, characters and stories that it's really difficult to get your head around everything that has happened. There are countless reports, proposals, newspaper articles, television interviews, And it's just really hard to try and understand everything that has happened and then to form an opinion as a result. So because I'm a Cork Harbour resident um, and it's just down the road, it is worrying and naturally I am against it. But at the same time, I'm very aware that I don't know all the facts. If the incinerator doesn't go here, is it just going to go somewhere else? Or can we find a better solution? And I'm open to the idea that this is the best solution. So I'll be interviewing as many people as I can about the Endeavour project, but also about the broader issues with waste in Ireland. 
So just to get up to speed, recently Chase have raised over 70,000 in, in a crowdfunding um, to appeal another decision by the planning board on board Planola to allow the incinerator to go ahead. So the appeal will end in what's called a judicial review and this is set to take place in March 2019, so just a few weeks down the road. I got in touch with Chase and their spokeswoman, Linda Fitzpatrick, agreed to meet me and do an interview from her kitchen in Carrigaline. The interview is just under an hour long and I resisted the urge to edit it and cut anything out. I worked in TV and video editing for years, so naturally I wanted to just reduce it, highlight the important parts and I guess make us seem as competent as possible in our question asking and answering. But I love podcast format and I love listening to podcasts in the car on the way to work and I also love that yeah, like you get the full conversation and you can kind of go with it as opposed to kind of being jumped from one part to another so I hope that comes across anyway in this interview so we began by talking about Chase's timeline um, it's on their website and it's a collection of all the kind of significant moments since the first planning application was filed so there's almost 20 years of stuff in there and there are over 80 entries and that's just a glimpse of the full picture November 2001 yeah. was when Indiver first launched a planning application. So that's yeah. over 17 years yeah. ago now. Like, Were you aware at that stage? And if you were, can you tell us what it was like to kind of hear about that coming in? Because I don't remember that even happening. Um, it was about April um, that it was first announced that it was going to be coming in. And I remember it because it was my daughter's fourth birthday and we were here in this kitchen. And um, my father-in-law, who's an engineer, um, he said to me at the time... Um, did you hear you're getting a hazardous waste incinerator down the road? And I kind of thought, oh my God, like there's already plenty, you know, of high asthma rates and other kind of problems um, around. And my daughter was suffering with asthma at the time. And I just kind of thought, you know, really we have enough. Um, so the signs went up um, that there was a meeting being held in Carrigaline. And I went down to that meeting, it was about June. And um, they were looking for volunteers. And I put my name down to volunteer. Um, there was a, that was a really well attended meeting um, and uh, like I suppose the room was full there was standing room only um, but nobody at that stage thought it was going to be 17 years long because we wouldn't have and I was listening to something the other day about emotionally charged yeah. events like 9-11 yeah. everyone knows exactly where they, where were. they were so yeah. I was thinking I was when I was reading through I was like I wonder if you remember in your kitchen on no, the birthday I, yeah. I remember every single like I remember that timeline by what I was doing at the time because it's a huge extra load on your life and you remember what you had to shelve to do it. Yeah. Um, like I remember the oral hearing, you know, in 2009 up in the Cork Airport Hotel. Mm -hmm. Like my daughter was making her confirmation at the time and we were having people in at the weekend and there was plenty of others, you know, with similar just ordinary everyday life stuff going on, you know, so she got her hair done and the hairdressers up there, you know, like your life is punctuated by it and it's how you remember the dates. And like even looking, I tried to count how many um, entries were in this timeline, and yeah. you said it hasn't. And that would be edited, yeah. Yeah, and that would be edited. So there's almost eighty entries. Yeah. Yeah. So when I when I look at that, all yeah. I can see is the amount of human energy mm. that has gone into this from both sides, Absolutely. from Indiver and yeah. from the community and stuff like that. Yes. So I just it's really important though that you know people realise that one side is being paid for every mm -hmm. single piece of energy that they put in and the other side um, has to make sacrifices to find that energy. Yeah. So it's, it's very unequal in that regard. And then talk to me about Chase because most people probably in the local community know what Chase is. Mm -hmm. um, but how did it form and how did it, I suppose, 
get to a place where it's it's so good at kind of communicating the key messages? Um, there was concern from all different areas of the harbour and meetings were held locally and groups sprung up locally um, of concerned people in each area who wanted to object at. And I was in the Carrigaline area um, and there was a Cove group and there was a group down in East Cork and obviously there was Ringus Giddy Residents Association. And people decided that really we should all meet so that we weren't um, running in a hundred different directions and that it made sense to pool resources. Um, so people started meeting weekly and then it was decided that it would be good to operate under an umbrella name. Um, and I had taken on the role of PR for the Cargilline group because um, that first meeting was very organised. Um, there was a sheet um, on the door and you were asked, like there were six different categories and you were asked if you had any experience in any of the categories and I did have a bit of experience in um, communications, PR, that kind of stuff. So I put my name down there and then there was a meeting held um, with that group and there was about 12 people in that group, um, a lot of whom fell away. But um, by virtue of the fact that I wasn't working at the time, um, and the person who was chairperson was working, I was easier to contact if somebody needed a statement. Mm -hmm. So I ended up being the person who was making, I suppose, who was, who was talking to journalists. Um, and then because that was working out okay, the umbrella group decided that I'd do it for everybody, which terrified me, <laughs> but it hasn't gone away. So here we are. Wow. And then, so in terms of the timeline, right? So yeah. when was Chase then established? It was established in about, um, August of, I think, the end of August in 2001. Okay, so yeah. that's all within the same year. Yeah, and then it is. Well, it was established very quickly. It was very quickly decided there was no point in chasing our tails around doing different things that um, this had to happen as a unified effort. And for you then, what was the yeah. kind of next significant, I suppose, milestone in the in the story? Um, being absolutely terrified of when the application would be made to Cork County Council because that would make everything very real. Mm -hmm. Up until then, um, I suppose in my own heart, I'd be hoping that it would go away and never happen. Um, so the first really significant milestone was when it actually, when the application was lodged with Cork County Council in November 2011. And how oh, sorry, 20, 2001. Was that like months or weeks of work now to get that application in? Um, to get the objection to, to the get application the it, it, yeah, it always is. I mean, the applications are big. They take a huge amount of reading. That's not something that would be my part in the jigsaw. There's plenty of other people doing that who are really, really good at it. Um, it's incredible, the expertise that's kind of come forward. Um, so my, my reading of things would um, be key point reading, let's say. Mm -hmm. And um, then I would refer back to somebody who just would know so much more than me. And like, there's been so many people who've been so generous with their time. Um, and they'd take a call any time we needed clarification so that it made sure we were giving accurate information out um, mm -hmm. to anybody who needed it. And the, yeah, I mean, any time an application goes in, it literally eats weeks from people. Wow. Um, so then, so then the first, so the first proposal went in. Yeah. Then your objection went in. And then where did that go then? Um, the first proposal went in and the county councillors rejected that. Mm -hmm. um, so that actually took a long time. Um, there was an awful lot of consideration given um, to that at Cork County Council level. Um, it wasn't until 2003 um, that that was rejected. Yeah. So that, that spent two, two years um, with Cork County Council um, and it was rejected then in 2003. Um, and then Indivar appealed that to uh, Board Planola. 
So that's the next step. If the yeah. council refuses anything, you go to the planning um, board. <clears throat> that's how it was. Um, if the council refused something, yes, there is a right of appeal to Bort and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's changed since that first application um, because the strategic infrastructure bill was brought in and it was brought in to speed up the decision-making process um, on large proposals like this, um, but it hasn't sped it up at all. Um, but what it means is that a case like this won't go to Cork County Council at all. It'll be lodged straight to Board Panola. And it's a much harsher, um, it's a much harsher process on the community. Um, when it went into Cork County Council, there was a really long period of debate and the councillors would have got quite educated about um, a pro, I suppose, a proposal that was going to happen in their area. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really, it was robustly discussed in there before it went to Board Panola. Um, now, what happens is the um, developer, in this case Indivar, would, they'd open up a case um, with Board Panola in, they'd have a pre-consultation period that would basically last until they were ready to make the application. So, um, in this case, I think, I think it was nearly three years, they had nearly three year pre-consultation period with Board Panola before they lodged, I suppose, as soon as the, as soon as the 2011, um, permission was granted. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry, as soon as the 2011 one <laughs> was refused, yeah. um, Indivar opened up, um, pre-cons- they went into pre-consultation talks with Board Planola, um, and then when they were ready um, in 2016, um, am I right there, 2016, sorry, yeah, in January 2016, um, they lodged their planning application, so so the Jeez, I can't be so, right on that, can I? So 2008 is the second now, application lodged, um, and in 2016, third application lodged for Board Planola. Like, how many goals do you get at lodging applications? Can, like, if... I suppose it's it's jumping ahead now to talk about the judicial review that's coming up. But if this, if they get refused, can they lodge a fourth? Yes, application. Yes, so they yes. Can, this could yes. keep going indefinitely forever. Um, it could. Yeah, no, sorry. I'm just to go back there on the pre- yeah. They yeah. had a three-year pre-consultation period before they, before they lodged their application, yeah. um, which meant they were talking to Board Planola for three years about it, and they had three years to prepare it, and then we were given eight weeks to analyse it and get our objections in. So that's how it works now, um, straight into Board Planola and then straight into an oral hearing. Um, and yes, if it is, if Board Planola, if we win this court case and if the planning gets quashed and there's a number of outcomes that could happen in court, it's not necessarily um, that it would be quashed. I mean, it, it could be, there could be conditions given, it could be sent back to Board Planola for review um, or it could be left stand. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it, if it did get quashed, yes, they can put in a new application. Um, it's very grueling to think it can keep going back and back and back, particularly when the harbour um, in those 17 years has taken a completely different um, direction of development, mm-hmm. you know, to what was happening. And I suppose as well, I suppose people are more, well, in terms of waste or incinerators, mm-hmm. now they're, I feel like the communications piece for incinerators is moving away from that word because it's got negative it connotations. So, regularly, so now yes. it's becoming a waste, waste energy, energy facility. Waste energy, treatment, yeah. uh, materials recovery, whatever. So yeah. it, it sounds a lot more positive, but is it is it more positive? Have, have in, has the no. incineration made developments in the last no, years? No, 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 they haven't actually. No, there's been, um, and even if you look at this, this is a 17-year-old proposal, like 17 years is a long time in terms of technology. Um, 
you'd think things would have moved on, you know. And no, it's still burning waste. It's still putting filters on for the contaminants that they can identify um, in a combustion in any combustion there's so much coming out of a chimney that you can only identify a small amount of it and that's what European regulations um, regulate, they regulate what they can regulate and they regulate according to criteria that industry can meet rather than according to what human health um, can tolerate. Mm -hmm. So um, no it hasn't improved. Um, the European Union is encouraging the phasing out um, of incinerators, to, of new incinerators, sorry, to work towards um, a circular economy. Um, they have advised governments to take public money out of um, incinerators because there is plenty of, of spare incineration capacity um, around Europe and they're concerned that it's um, halting the progress towards um, increasing recycle rate, recycling rates and directing existing resources back into becoming new resources. I think that's the, the biggest point it is, is that yeah. it lowers the incentive for yeah. our like culture and economy to get good at recycling and even at an individual level. But like was was one of the reasons because we never had incinerators yeah. and like then now we have two and this would be the third one like for for household waste. But is it because of the EU that we kind of went down that road? Like, was the EU putting pressure on us? No, um, no, no. That, that would be a line, all right, that would have been very convenient for um, the incinerator industry to use, and it's one that they would have used when exploiting what's basically commercial opportunity for them with any government. Mm -hmm. um, so they would have said, yeah, the EU needs you to move away from um, landfill and towards... Um, recycling and incineration um, at times would come higher than landfill on the um, triangle, I suppose, mm -hmm. on the, the waste management pyramid. Um, but what governments really should have been doing is um, mandating for clean production principles so that there was less waste produced um, at source and implementing proper recycling infrastructure that meant that your materials get recycled into new versions of those materials and putting a priority on um, using materials that can cope with ongoing recycling. Mm -hmm. You know, like glass, for example, can be refilled or can be recycled back into glass. Like plastic has got a limited lifespan. Um, it can't be recycled indefinitely and it can't always be recycled into the same product again. And even when you look at um, your existing plastics and they might be recycled into stuff like park benches or jumpers mm -hmm. you know um, we're we're becoming aware of the problem with washing of synthetic materials and all the microfibers that it puts into you know the oceans and the plankton are eating it you know so that, that's something that I learned about in the research to this yeah. that I, I, did, I didn't even realize there was plastic in our clothes yeah and then is it washing them at high temperatures kind of releases the plastics from the clothes and then they just go into the rivers and then into the sea. I'm not sure. I thought it was the agitation, but I'm honestly not sure. Yeah, I'm, yeah, really, yeah. I'm really not sure. But they, yeah, they do go into the rivers and the sea. So um, like plastic would be one of the materials that wouldn't have an indefinite recycling capacity. Um, so like our government didn't have to go down the route where um, it decided that the easiest thing to do was burn our waste. Um, you know, large industrial scale composting facilities could have been built. Now each of these, it's it's important to be aware that each of these um, facilities would probably meet with local re resistance also, um, which is what one of the problems when politicians are looking at it um, from a policy point of view. It's a problem that they encounter, you know, they think, well, we're going to get resistance to an anaerobic digestion unit, we're going to get resistance to a recycling plant, 
Um, mm -hmm. We're going to get resistance to an incinerator, you know, mm -hmm. kind of what's the difference. Um, but we didn't put in, like back in 2001, we didn't go down the route of putting in other types of infrastructure that would also have diverted waste from landfill. And that's what we needed to do. We didn't need to put in an incinerator to divert it from landfill. We should have put in more environmentally friendly um, circular solutions that would also have diverted from landfill. Mm -hmm. And I think like with policy and yeah. like I suppose planning, it's it's kind of a five, ten year horizon and mm -hmm. it's not really a long term horizon. But what, what really gets me about this whole thing is mm -hmm. that private companies are deciding about the future of our waste yes. and the future of waste in Ireland when I think yeah. it's, it's, it's it should be at such a higher level than that and I don't know why there hasn't been I, I think you, you 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 said to me that there has been a lot of kind of studies and stuff done about this and things but like how how could, do you think it's possible to take it off the private kind of and put it into the public or is this always no, going to no, be a No, 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 not now, definitely. Because when you look at it, county councils used to be involved in waste management and they actually took it off them and handed it to the private sector. Okay. Um, now at a policy level, um, anytime a new policy is being developed, they ask for submissions from everybody. But who's the most likely person to submit to that? It is the waste management, con you know, sorry, the person who has a proposal that they want to get built. They're going to be all over the policy proposals. Communities like us then, um, it's another thing that we have to do. You know, we have to put in proposals to those policy um, calls. And we do. Um, so that's where policy gets made. Um, but they're like a company's at a big advantage because they have people who are paid to write policy. They have access to, um, I suppose, support from the industry and from industry bodies. Um, they can lobby other industry bodies um, for support. And a lot of the time, um, a company like an incinerator company will be on a single platform when they're talking to um, an industry group. There won't be somebody there from the local community saying, hey, this isn't so great because of A, B and C. You know, they're there alone. And when you're just there alone and unchallenged, it's very easy to present a case that seems to be attractive because you're presenting a single side of the story. You know, mm -hmm. Have there anybody, ever been anyone, any moments in Chase where you thought that you were just going to have to stop and just set, and just let it go ahead? Like, did you ever get to the, the end of the line? Uh, um, well, there's plenty of times when you really do just wish it would go away. Um, and there is so many times when you, when you would think that we just don't have the energy to keep doing this. But it, what, what happens is just so amazing. Like every time, certainly every time I think this, um, the upsurge of support from the community just seems to come out of nowhere. You know, um, money is always an issue. Um, and in the previous two applications, we were looking at a situation where you're going ahead with a court case maybe or you're putting in a submission to an oral hearing that you know is going to cost maybe 20, maybe 40,000 euros, mm -hmm. you know, and you're not sure where that money's going to come from. Mm -hmm. um, but it all has just arrived from cake sales or it just, it arrives in the bank account from the community. Um, and this time when the um, application was granted, I was actually going on my holidays um, two days later um, and somebody put up, um, one of the group put up a GoFundMe page and um, like in the first day there was 10,000 euros in it and by the time I was going on holidays, um, I was in the airport in London, I think there was 20,000 euros in it and we were heading over to the States. By the time I got there, there was 40,000 euros in it. And did you raise, was it 100,000 euro for this judicial review or something? For, or um, for the judicial review, um, 
we're not sure how much this judicial review is going to cost. Um, and where does the money go? Like, how, like oh, like, barristers, like, solicitors. Um, you have got to put a competent case in front of the judge. You've got to have. Um, you've got to have your case made properly because the team that's going to be that you're going to be up against, like you're you're up against a really professional team, so you have to match it, and you genuinely can't expect. Um, people to give their time to your community for nothing um there's so much there's so much that is donated to this campaign in terms of time there really is but you can't expect everybody to do it um and you have to get the expertise that you need to back up the points that you're making you have to present evidence to the judge you have to present evidence to the oral hearing inspector and you have to do it with people who have the credentials to make the case and the point that they're making um and so that's really where the money goes. Um, and like to date, all three inspectors have said, don't build this incinerator. And they are, they're not independent. They're no. actually on the board Planola. They're employed by board Planola to hear cases and make a recommendation to the board whether to grant planning or not. Mm-hmm. And in each of the three, in the 2001 application, 2009 application, and the 2016 application, each of those inspectors said, for various different reasons, don't grant planning. Um, what are the main reasons that you Oh, um, the site is very unsuitable. Mm-hmm. Um, the site itself is geographically very unsuitable. Um, the, the, the various inspectors would have had different reasons, but the site always comes up as one, that it's prone to flooding and coastal erosion. Um, which wouldn't have been properly mitigated against, um, that it's too small for development of this scale, that it's located in a cul-de-sac, um, that is an issue. Um, those kind of issues, they're, they're serious um, site issues that are very difficult to engineer around. Mm-hmm. Um, so, And like, why do you think that Indiver are so like set on this site when... Like, I feel like the solution to their problems would have been just to get another site that's, mm. that's kind of more out of the way. Well, they, they would say that it takes, that they undertook um, the site selection process and this was the site that came up. Now, in this last application, they didn't undertake any new site selection. It was one of the points that the inspector made that there was no new site selection undertaken, um, that they went with this site because they had it, um, which I suppose is understandable because you've paid for it and you own it and you want to get your money out of it. Um, but it certainly would seem to be easier to have gone somewhere else, but then that's not fair in the next community, you know, when yeah. what we should be doing is looking at how we deal with our waste and how we're going to deal with it in the future, because it's not a problem that's going to go away. Um, and it's one that's, you know, becoming higher and higher profile um, as each year goes on. Um, Indivar, if you ask them, I think would say that no matter what site they pick, they're going to have opposition mm-hmm. and that they've done the site selection on this. So it makes sense to deal with this opposition, you know, that they've gone through a number of um, the points and that they think they've got a good case this time. When I was researching, um, I came across the term NIMBY. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've heard of it, not in my backyard. Yeah, absolutely. And I was like, am I a NIMBY? Because it yeah. is in my backyard. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Is it just that I don't want it there? Mm-hmm. But it's not that. It's not that I just don't want to see the incinerator or be affected by what's coming out from it. Yeah. It's more that, like, I just think that burning is the lazy solution. But I'm willing it, to be proved wrong as well. If no, it is. And I'd like, I'd, I really think that I'd like to go back on that term NIMBY because I would have been somewhat upset to be called a NIMBY 17 years ago, whereas now I actually don't care. Um, I look at it very differently. 
the people who call people NIMBY, like if you look at the term NIMBY, it's almost like as if it was invented as a negative badge that the person proposing whatever wasn't wanted could throw at the community. Mm -hmm. um, every community has the right to stand up for itself because nobody else is going to. Um, like you live there, it's where you live. Why should somebody else be allowed to come in and build whatever they want without giving you any say? Now this is no matter no matter what it is. And if another community, if some other community has a problem with something that I don't see as a problem, I wouldn't judge them on that because it's they live there. They've got the right to stand up for it. I'm not going to call them a NIMBY. You know, I I I I don't have a problem being called a NIMBY now, <laughs> um, because I see it quite differently. You know, you have to stand up for your own backyard because nobody else is going to. Mm -hmm. you know? It was when I was reading it and I, yeah. I just read it and it just yeah. sprung out of me and yeah. I was like, oh yeah. no, is that what I am? You oh, know, maybe, but, yeah. maybe not. I mean, maybe, maybe not. This site itself, aside from being a NIMBY, which, and I don't want this in my backyard, there is so many reasons that this proposal is not suitable for this location. Mm -hmm. And when, when I went to one of the um, meetings following the announcement that um, uh, Indiver were applying for a third application yeah. for a third time, I went to a local a group meeting in mm -hmm. Carrigline and mm -hmm. it, I, it, it was amazing because everyone was in the room from like the local politicians yeah. to the Chase community to yeah. people in the community who maybe are new to it, like, yeah. like me, who, yeah. who don't really understand. But then there's people who really have an emotional attachment to this and have had so for years and years. And like, I think a lot of the things that I was hearing were, were very personal stories yeah. about about people who feel personally affected by the treatment in the local area mm. over the last few, over the history of the time with like big companies and the pharmaceuticals that are yes. really skiddy. And I feel like people feel like we've got enough yeah. of it. That, that was the very first sentiment from Ring of Skiddy that enough is enough, when's it going to end? And it's actually one of the reasons um, that I decided I didn't want this. Um, because when I would have got involved in this, I would really not have known an awfully an awful lot about waste. But um, like we did grow up and we spent a lot of time on the water. Um, and at that stage, the peninsula um, that this proposal is on the end of was like largely undeveloped from the port site down. Mm -hmm. um, whereas now, and I just, I really thought, okay, you know, that's on the sea. It can do better than this. You know, when you come into Cork Harbour, it's, it's it's part of the shoreline that you first see and there's factories on the shore and there's a refinery on the shore and do we really need an incinerator on the shore? It's kind of cementing everything mm. when you could do something better there. And in the time since then, we really have seen better. And a large part of that, um, in my opinion, happened when Martin Reardon was the, um, it was out in Cork County Council um, because he gave permission for Camden to be developed on Spike Island now, like it's a world-class tourist destination. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just, it's magnificent. Um, and Cove, like is always beautiful. And it's just that, that there's been so much um, development in a direction that provides an amenity and a bit of balance, you know, and a bit of balance is what you need in order to keep a place nice to live in, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then the Maritime College and the Research Centre and all of those are there. And the like the investment, like the naval naval base is um, so cemented there now and there's plans for all of that to be developed. So... Um, did you think that when the Maritime College was built yeah, that that was going to we change hoped, actually, the face Yeah, we yeah. really did hope that that would... Um, we really did hope that that would kind of open people's eyes and open... Op op that, that, that would make it 
clear that um, you know it wasn't a great idea to put a big incinerator next to a student population. Mm-hmm. You know, like if it was put in inside an UCC, I'm sure that if, if there was a proposal to put it just yards from UCC, I'm sure there'd be a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also an issue with people who are employed by the state um, speaking out publicly. Um, so we hit that that barrier in a way we hadn't expected. Now there's there 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 is plenty of opposition down there, um, and there's lots of support from individuals um, in the organisations that would be adjacent to the incinerator. But um, it's it's then hard for some others to speak out. I know, I know, and it's it's been difficult for me to try and source people to interview for that reason exactly and then like people who I thought would be incredible interviewees mm. might have to submit reports for the judicial review so it's a very contentious time to be discussing this um which which obviously is a concern but it's like the whole motivation for recording a podcast is that I have such I'm, I'm in a community of such intelligent people and friends and yeah. my family and stuff like that who don't feel like they have any right to give an opinion because it's a 17 year old story it is, yeah and it's and it's so hard and it's so text heavy it is and I don't know how ye can like I can't read the reports I, I'm trying to read them and what I do is I get Siri to to speak mm-hmm. like, so that I can hear them because it just looks like filler kind of stuff I know, to know. No, I know exactly yeah. what you mean like that's there's boxes of them up in my attic and I've had to read some of them, you know, like I've had to read, I've had to read everything I've needed to read and there's been a lot, like I haven't needed to read it to be the key, um, the key person who'd write, say, a proposal or a, a submission, but I have needed to read it to understand it so that I can communicate it properly. Um, and there's an awful lot of reading there. You you cry when you see them. You know you do. You cry when you see them. But you just, I don't know. You just. Is it kind of like, like, death by reporting, like or oh, paralysis is. of text yeah. or something like that, where it just stops? Well, no. Uh, um, there's some people who are very good at reading those reports. Mm-hmm. So you really do rely very heavily um, on people like that. But it still takes them hours and mm-hmm. hours and hours. Those reports took hours to write. They take hours to read. I mean, they took months to write, I'd say. They take hours and days and weeks to read. Um, with regard to the people who feel that they're not properly qualified to comment um, on it, the inspectors are paid to comment on it and they're paid to give their opinion on it and none of them have thought that the proposal that was in front of them was a good idea um, and they listen to both sides of the story and they listen to all of the experts so with regard to people who aren't sure whether they have an opinion or not maybe they might think about agreeing with the inspector mm-hmm. and like how does okay so if the inspector is employed by onboard Panola yeah. and they say that this isn't a good idea to go ahead how does onboard Panola then rule that it is okay to go ahead is it from kind of separate items of information that are introduced no, no it isn't it isn't no um they the inspector would comment on all the items that are submitted to board Panola and give a final um recommendation and in that recommendation um in this particular instance um, Indivar were asked for further information along the way and um, they submitted that and we were allowed to comment on that and they were allowed to comment on that but we weren't allowed to comment again on that. So the board, the inspector would review all of that information and then make a recommendation and his, he, he may say or she may say that um, certain points have been dealt with I'm okay with that now but these points still remain so I recommend, it, recommend not granting it. That's what happened in this case. Um, 
And then the board would, um, would look at it and they may say, well, in, in the interest of national policy, we're going to grant it anyway. It can be as simple as that, you know, whereas normally they try and make a better stab at justifying why they think that this isn't going to be an issue. Or they may grant it with conditions and say that you can build it as long as you do this and this and this, you know, so mm-hmm. there's there's an awful lot of um, options open. And if, like, if, if what, what, like, does there need to be a new, like, how... How are other communities protected from going through a 17-year battle? Like, should there be a cap? They're not. Do you think on the amount of entries that um, someone can submit without it? Absolutely, absolutely. The Strategic Infrastructure um, Bill, or the Strategic Infrastructure Process, um, is in need of reform. Mm-hmm. Um, it's currently very weighted towards the developer. Um, the community has to do an incredible amount of work um, in a really short space of time to have any chance of dealing properly with an application that is probably going to get even harsher um, and it isn't fair you really do have to fight to get any element of fairness under the current situation um, and not every community can do that if you've got a small community like imagine if you had this proposal and like this is a 17 year old proposal which does give us the advantage of knowing what it's about you know we like some plenty of things in an, in the application will change but plenty of things won't change as well like the topography around the place doesn't change you know there's an amount that's already that we've already done i suppose but imagine if you got this proposal in a small community like 80 miles outside of cork mm-hmm. with a thousand people living in the town um they would be really really challenged to get the funds and the knowledge to quickly deal with um, mm-hmm. with it. So, the strategic infrastructure um, process is not a fairly weighted one. And if an incinerator went in, how long? Like, say the incinerator went in, yeah, and then we realised in five years' time that okay, population is getting out of control. Mm. Our waste production and creation is like maybe we all come to a conscious realisation that we need to change how we like our whole attitude towards waste and production and creation um, how would we get rid of the incinerator so you're, talk- like- you're talking about the hypothetical situation that suddenly everybody decides ooh waste is a problem we're not going to produce any anymore yeah. you'd still be left with the incinerator for and kind of 20 or so years would it be 20 years no that's not going to happen yeah. you know, that has to be acknowledged like we'd yeah. all love that to happen but that's not going to happen but, yeah. it, but we're stuck with it even if we do realise like, yeah if, if yeah, it's, yeah, if yeah. The, the, yeah you'd be stuck with it for like 20 years anyway and probably another an operating extension of kind of another 20 okay yeah Okay. <laughs> I'm yeah. guessing like, that uh, that's what scares me about it. It's kind of like one of those things. Well, that once I mean, it's a it's a it's a huge investment. Yeah, you know, it's an, an absolutely huge investment. So the the investment that's put into it has to be get got back for the shareholders. What I was surprised, at, like I suppose Ireland was crazy for landfills. Um, yeah, was it ninety percent of our yeah. waste was going to landfills yeah. until 1997? Yeah, and that's then, why that's why the incinerator industry thought that this would be a great place to. They saw an opportunity. Absolutely, there was a market opportunity there. Um, and um, I suppose the government um, could at that stage have created a market opportunity for something else mm. you know like for anaerobic digestion facilities but the market opportunity was for incinerators and why do you think it's not it's not realistic to assume that we'll completely change our um, attitude 
like as I was saying to you earlier at the moment I'm like we're trying in this household which is six adults really to do um, a week without any packaging and the reason why I decided to not just go for recyclables um, and produce no no waste except for recyclables is that I was having a really hard time getting my head around which was the better recycling like I know that plastic um, recycling really is just downcycling um, and that aluminium has a much higher rate of recycling but at the same time you look up at Okinish alumna and some of the stories from the farmers up there and there's environmental impacts with every route you choose to go down um, glass recycling is like glass glass recycling is you can keep recycling glass almost infinitely but glass in Ireland is just crushed and used as roadful now at the same time that is materials replacement so um, there's a positive to it I was having a really hard time weighing it all up in my mind and so I decided to just see um, if for a week we could not create any packaging not buy anything that came in packaging if it wasn't refillable or compostable um, so that's what we've been doing and it is difficult but the reason this week um, is I suppose working better than normal weeks for us is that um, I decided not to see if we could do it but just to do it and see what the problems were. Um, so we're actually doing it. Now, I'm obviously very vested in this and it's also, you've got the motivation of it being an experiment at the moment. Um, it's, it's not easy and you do have to reorganize and you do have to reshuffle. It can absolutely be done. There's really no question about that. Um, but it does have barriers and it does have to be the focus. And there is so many other things to focus on that I, I'm not sure the motivation is there collectively yet. It may be there in the future, but at the moment, um, a lot of people would see just cost barriers or convenience barriers or time barriers. Um, and those are there, but it's like, it's like, you know, trying to lose weight. You decide you're not going to eat shite anymore. Um, and like the barrier there is like discomfort and maybe you know new habits needing to be formed there's mm -hmm. difficulty with everything you know I was listening to a great interview on the Ray Darcy show with Tom Kavanagh they just yeah. built a bridge in UCC oh, yeah. um, in his name and uh, he was telling a great story about he set up an organisation or an association of kind of businesses against yeah. waste because Ireland right. was filthy yes. um, apparently I, I, I don't remember that now I have a lovely rosy tinted vision of, yeah. of what Ireland was like but he was like the towns and villages and the sides were yeah. filthy so they tried for ages to come up with ideas to get towns and villages to clean up and they, like nothing was working so what did work eventually was a league table of oh, like a competition, the, a competition. Yeah. And, and he said it wasn't yeah. that people were trying to become number one yeah. but people were trying to get out of the low five get out of the low five and that's then the tidy that towns. Yeah, yeah. yeah the tidy towns yeah. was a result of that yeah. and stuff wow. like that I found that fascinating so they were trying not to come the bottom of the league exactly well I mean so. Ireland is bottom of the league in lots of mm -hmm. you know lots of environmental leagues at the moment and like we're not doing enough to get out of there and it's so funny because we're considered the Emerald Isle. You I know. know. And, and even um, someone was telling me a story the other day about seeing tourists yeah. on the side of the road. Yeah. And they had their video, ca their camera out or yeah. whatever. And there was nothing there except like grass, grass. and then loads of plastic yeah. in it. Oh. So obviously the tourists were just capturing the plastic and the I grass. Think, I think we do a great job of kind of redirecting tourists around the nicer areas. We do. And then not bringing them to the areas. We do. We do. We do. No, we are good at marketing our, our country. Mm, <laughs> yeah, we are. we are. Now, I can see in the packaging next yeah. to me... All you have. How, how long yeah. have you been doing the? the no I'm I'm literally on day four, so that's um, that's that's a half a week, um, and what's in that box is 
all of the new packaging that's come into the house during those four days and during those four days I have shopped for a month um, a month of some store cover provisions um, like all all my um, seeds and nuts and um, beans and pulses and um, an amount of our meat um, and then weekly veg and fruit and Mm -hmm. stuff like that so I do still have um, I would still have a weekly shop now to do but I've done an, I'd stock up at the start of each month so the waste from that is in there and um, the waste from the the packaging waste from stuff that hasn't been used yet is also in there because I took it off so that I could um, measure it and celery is your biggest <laughs> uh, yeah, culprit just, just the celery um, because they didn't have celery that wasn't in a package um, at the market on Thursday um, and shopping without packaging, you really do need to be able to get to um, either a farmer's market um, or a shop or, a, you know, a local um, fruit and veg shop. Um, and, you know, people would say that it's hard to get to those places. But I suppose it's a matter of adjusting your mindset. And when you go into the store um, that you go in looking for stuff um, and that instead of having, you know, apples, oranges, bananas, pears on your list, that you have six um <laughs> you know six package free fruit and that might be pineapples melons you know it's whatever mm-hmm. comes um out of the packaging um and that you just buy those and let those be what you eat you know so there's there's significant mindset um adjustments um and how do you feel about going into say the butchers and asking yeah, them to put it into your own package i was terrified and it's really intimidating and it's something that um you know you're kind of afraid of them going god who does your one think she is you know and you're just afraid of <laughs> judgment and rejection and all those kind of things um and i suppose the way i go about it is that i would never i'd never even ask in somewhere that i didn't didn't like the produce that i i would kind of tend to find places that i liked what they're selling then shop there a couple of times and then after a couple of times when i got to know the person selling it um, then ask rather than ask at the outset you know when you've got a relationship struck up but anyway um, it was the first time I'd ever asked for the meat or the chicken breasts cooked chicken breasts I buy them for the school sandwiches um, that I ever asked for them to put into containers and um, both of the butchers said absolutely no problem there's loads of people doing it for the new year mm-hmm. so that really surprised me and um, God, I was really happy I'd asked. Well, do you know, like, I, I think that, like, do you know, the plastic bag levy, say, yeah. Ireland was the first yes. to, to introduce that and yeah. that, that was a hugely successful yeah. campaign. And now we've got kind of the Keep Cup revolution yeah. where, yeah. like, frank and honest coffee are charging Absolutely. 20% less. Yeah. Um, I was saying to you, I bought my boyfriend a Keep Cup and yeah. he was like, sure, you can't go and yeah. get a no, thing. But no. now there's signs up there encouraging you to encouraging do it. And giving you discounts as well, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I think that I think those like all of those things add up to changing who they we do. are, you know, but they do now just on a personal level, yeah. 17 years mm. of putting probably so much like uncountable hours into this. Mm. I met your daughter when I came in and she was <laughs> obviously really like versed in this whole like, yeah. like, but did it take a toll on family life when you were up late at night? Like, how did you m- manage it when it's not like work you can't switch it off it's always it's always there yeah Yeah, it is it's always there Um, it integrates it um, becomes part of family life really to be quite honest I mean no matter what you're doing um, it rubs off on the kids Um, it would have definitely left me tired um, at at times Um, and then at other times like I said earlier like when my daughter was making her confirmation um, and like she'd actually never been to the hairdressers it was her first trip to the hairdressers it was intended to be you know a big 
treat for her and I was stuck up at an oral hearing um, so like thankfully there was a hairdresser in the hotel and it was a lovely hairdresser so she went and she had her hair done in the hairdressers there at, the oral, at the oral hearing yeah and wow. um, <gasps> I stayed going to that hairdresser's then until that hairdresser's actually closed down no way <laughs> yeah so I mean you you integrate and you adjust and um, certainly they would all be like fairly environmentally aware um, it just it comes along with you um, mm-hmm. but there's there's nobody um, there's nobody who would be um, somebody who I suppose participates intensely in hearings or in the campaign there's nobody who hasn't um, had an effect on something that they've been doing with their kids whether it's that you know you've got a communion on and there's and, and I'm like in the 17 years it is nearly omnipresent you know you're either dealing with an application dealing with a court case you know participating in an oral hearing or recovering from one you know um, there's there's nobody who hasn't had you know stuff that they've had to run around um, family events that they've had to I suppose um, short change they might feel mm-hmm. um, because of having to participate in these but what normally happens to be quite honest is that um, like other members of your extended family rally around you because they don't want it either yeah you know yeah incredible so then what what is the plan for the next I suppose it's eight weeks until the judicial review could that be moved out is that, is, um, like, is, is that yes are you expect like what how, what do you think um, is going to happen we don't really know um, you never know um, with the court case it's at the discretion of the judge mm-hmm. um, we think we're on target for March but um, you just have to let the court case take its course and leave it with your legal team and when will your phone start hopping now for kind of, will that just be the week of kind of? Um, to be honest, um, the court reporters tend to keep an eye on it and um, they do such a good job of reporting. There's actually, my phone hops less during court case period. Right, yeah. Um, the court reporters, I suppose, um, with court cases, the media have to be extremely careful. Um, so they, the court reporters are all excellent. And I don't have that much to do for it. Would, like, would, if, say, say there's, like, three groups of people, there's people who know so much about this, mm. there's people who, like, don't know anything mm. about this, and then there's people who, like, that, I suppose two groups of people, so people who know loads and mm. people who don't know anything. Um, if all of the people who don't know anything are educated and become more, like, is, is there any, I suppose, impact that a bigger community get it together could have in the judicial review or is it totally no, no. so that won't no, make any difference absolutely not and the like the community um, awareness I would say is very high mm-hmm. um, that doesn't mean that everybody doesn't want it and I would never like to represent it as that way um, because definitely there's segments who think okay we need this or oh it's a good idea and then there's segments who change their mind and think actually do you know something after listening to it, it's not. Um, but, you know, everybody is entitled to their own opinion, but the community awareness, I think, in this is high and the community is quite educated about it um, and participates um, as a full community. And what I mean by that really is that, like, you, your politicians are participating in the process. Um, your tourism bodies are participating. Um, you know, you've had medical representation. Um ordinary people and um, that the, the whole the community participates really as a unit in it um, if 
if with more people, um, I suppose from if the actual area spread and more people said they didn't want it, like sure, I mean, you know, you could you could protest and that, but that probably wouldn't have a huge impact on the court. It shouldn't have a huge impact on the court and it's not meant to have any impact on the court. The court is meant to be analysing um, the grounds on which the, de- the, the decision was made and making a ruling on whether those grounds were legally sound or not. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Does anyone have the power to come in and just overrule that? Like anyone, kind of like the president of Ireland, if he just took a complete disliking to this or is it just so in within the legal Ooh. hemisphere? Um, I'm getting a blank here now. Um, there was legislation um, brought in there whereby a minister mm-hmm. um, can quash planning. Wow, yeah. Um, One minister independently. Yeah. 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 Um, if I can refer back here. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like there has been debate over whether or not that could apply to um to this case but the i suppose the consensus really from any of the ministers that would be involved in it is that it can't be um it's where something would um have strategic implications for the state that the minister would have the power to ask um, the Minister for Defence to quash planning mm-hmm. um, and we were very hopeful when that legislation was brought forward that you know maybe this could solve everything for us but it seems that it can't. What's the best case scenario for, now, um, for, the, for the next? Well what, what we'd love to see is the planning quashed and um, Indivar decide they had enough and that they'd go away too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and then what would happen then, though, to Chase? Like you've built up like you've, you probably have so many um, like you're almost like a company, like a, a volunteer kind of company. Like I would feel sad that all those resources and all of your connections would, wouldn't like. Would you know, we could go about doing things that we wanted to do. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, go about kind of, you know, I don't know, having having a life yeah <laughs> you know but would you kind of stay together to try and improve the harbour well or? um <clears throat> i suppose already um if you look in cove there's um the cove zero waste group mm-hmm. um stephen thornhill who is um a food um lecturer i hope i'm right there now that i'm not getting him getting him wrong in ucc um approach Chase and the Cove Tidy Towns and the allotments um, mm-hmm. to see would they be interested in getting so- something up off the ground. Um, a kind of a positive um, programme to look at how um, waste streams could be reduced um, in Cove, you know, and to, I suppose, raise awareness um, of zero waste. And so the Cove Zero Waste Group now has been up and running um, for maybe maybe a year and a half. Um, and it's going really well. I mean, it, there's new people come into it, people who don't have anything to do with Chase. And um, they've got this like new level of enthusiasm. And um, they're kind of doing community activities to, you know, show people how to live with without producing so much waste. And they're um, approaching shops and Cove to see could packaging be reduced. So, um, I mean, energy could be definitely directed into initiatives like that. Um, but I'd love to retire. 
<laughs> I don't think you'll be able to. But do you know now as well another group who I thought were very good in the in the past in the uh, recent past is mm. the cross women. Oh yeah, uh, so cross women. Absolutely. And I noticed as well um, <clears throat> maybe like th- there seems to be a lot of women. Yeah. Kind of at the, at the front of this. Yes. Why you see do you the men at the oral hearing. It's funny. Yeah. You do Why? you see the men at the oral hearing. Um there is a lot of women at the front of this. Maybe it's because like as Mary Robinson was saying, like it's women will have to fix this because women are the nurturers. Mm-hmm. Um but I must say like I, I this, this campaign is full of men as well. Yeah. You know. I did, yeah, I was going to say because I was yeah. like the, the room for yeah. the community group yeah. was probably half and half. Half and half, yeah. But online it seems like it's yeah. it's, it's 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 a lot of um, yeah. of females which is interesting, but I think that Mary Robinson book was fantastic yeah. as well. And yeah. her podcast is also yeah. Yeah. really really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no, it is and it's very very good that she's got such a strong focus really on um like the environment and the future now, really. Yeah. And yeah. even I was at a UCC event recently where um, Sabina Higgins, Michael Higgins' yeah. wife, was uh, speaking and the event was all about the suffragettes kind of and women having the right to vote in Ireland for the last hundred years. But her entire speech almost was like she spoke about that and how far women have come and mm. similar to Mary Robinson, then she went on to now where we need to focus is climate yes. change. Yeah, it does. Oh, I mean, it is the like biggest challenge facing our generation and future yeah. generations. It absolutely is. And we cannot keep living the way that we're living. Um, that's why I decided to do the week that I'm doing here mm-hmm. and um, I would really like to actually keep doing it because our lifestyles are our choice and like big companies do have a responsibility but they move slower you know mm-hmm. like we can actually move much quicker um, as individuals than a company can and our actions have um, an impact on the choices that companies make um, so that that's I suppose why I'm doing that you know If you have any feedback about that interview or have ideas for people who I could get in touch with or topics that I could cover, I'd love to hear from you at info at the vidacademy.com. Thanks a million for listening.